morning. Just before we, uh, before we dig in, a quick update. If you haven't heard, the Morris family is, uh, is leaving on sabbatical this summer. And so I just wanted to catch you up on our plans and invite your prayers for us. I will be in the pulpit again next week, and that will be my last time in the pulpit until the end of the summer. And, uh, you know, we, we discussed it as elders months ago, and I said, you know, I really, I feel good. I feel refreshed. I feel like I don't need a sabbatical, and I'm grateful that their response at that point was, let's not wait till you need it. We said we would send you away after five years of planting and the intensity of this season, and we think we need to stay true to that. And, and I'm really grateful for their generosity, and I think their wisdom, and I'd be really grateful for your prayers uh, in this season. And so what we're going to be doing, we're going to be gone for 12 weeks, um, not out of Houston that entire time, but kind of gone from the ebb and flow of the community. The first six weeks will largely be our family just reconnecting, being restored, being encouraged. Uh, and the, the last six weeks in large part will be me beginning to dream and pray and, and long for what does God have for us for the next five years. So I'm, some things I've been intending to read, uh, thinking through some key strategic issues that await us over the horizon. Um, so I just wanted to say, please pray for us. Um, also next week after the 9 and the 11 a.m. service, our, our whole family will be in the training center, donuts and coffee, and just a chance to kind of uh, say goodbye for, for a short season. Uh, there will be a spot where you can write an encouraging note, which would mean the world to me. I'm going to take those with me and read those as I go, just rejoicing in what God has done in the first five years. So know this, uh, I, I, am, uh, I love this community. And even the thought of being away for, for three months feels like a sadness to me just because I adore you. Um, but know that we'll be praying for you and looking forward to coming back. Uh, the last note I, I'd make is this. There's part of it that feels really selfish. And I've been, I've been grateful for, for the input of some friends and elders and coaches in my life that has said what your community needs from you more than anything else is that you would be leading and preaching out of the overflow. And for 11 years since I left seminary, I've been teaching two to three times a week. And they said, what you want is to continue to be overflowing. And that's what they want too. And so know that in doing this, it really is for the, for the sake of the whole community. So please pray. And, uh, and know that I'll be back here next week. And then after that, we, we would love your, your prayers and your send-off. Okay. This week we continue in our study of the Beatitudes. Um, you may or may not know, I've actually shared it before. I'm, I'm colorblind and like really colorblind colorblind in embarrassing ways. I picked up on it when I was in elementary school. It was that test, you may remember, when you started learning maps and keys. And I had this test where they gave me the key and it was color-coded to the map. And it's like, I know how to use a key and I know how to use a map and here I am, but I don't know what the grasslands is and I don't know where the plateaus are because all the colors just look like a, a mishmash blur. And I remember going, why is this so hard? Like, this is not, I don't think it's supposed to be like this. And that has been a part of my journey in lots of different ways. It influences the fact that I, I don't like to pick out clothes. I don't like to go shopping. You may have noticed I had some comments uh, last week. They were like, hey, you got some new shoes and I think maybe some new jeans. And I was like, yeah, it's when my wife finally gets so fed up that I refuse to go shopping. She'll just order things that come to the house. And she says, put these on and see if they fit. And I'm like, yeah, I think so. And she's like, okay, those are your new clothes. I'm like, got it. Uh, 
because I don't, I, I don't want to deal with it because I can't see the distinctions. We also, the joke around the house is that I'm a bad looker. And what that means is like if something needs to be found in the pantry or in the drawer or in the garage, Ashley's shaking her head. She's just quit asking me to look. I don't know if it's entirely to be blamed on my colorblindness, but that's what, I, that's what I pin it on, is that I feel like I'm looking. I just don't see the distinctions and the differences. So I'm looking for that thing, and it's right in front of me, but I miss it every time. I'm a bad looker. Like, the idea is that so much of my life has been touched by colorblindness. I don't see things the way they are. I miss things that are right in front of me. It has, it has touched all that I, that I see throughout my life. And, and this morning, as we continue in the Beatitudes, what we're going to see is, is this invitation to see differently, that as we continue to study uh, the good life together, as it, yeah, there we go, uh, as we continue to study the good life together, as, as Jesus is actually framing for us what makes for the good life and declaring these Beatitudes. These are the marks of living a blessed life as Jesus and all of his wisdom and brilliance is, is spinning out for us. This week, what he's going to say is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What he's talking about is being able to see things differently and more fully. Not to be bad lookers, but to actually be able to see the world as it is, to have a blessing of sight that flows from something that is happening in the heart. And so the invitation this week is we continue to slowly walk through the Beatitudes. Jesus' descriptor of the good life is this morning to receive this, this blessed invitation to see everything differently, to actually begin to have vision for God because of something happening at a heart level. Um, so let's plunge in together. Matthew 5, 8 Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What do we mean pure in heart? Pure in heart. Oftentimes when I think of purity, it may be the way you think of it as well. I think someone that's pure in heart, that's someone that doesn't see R-rated movies. Or like, they don't, they don't use expletives even under their breath. You know, like, even when nobody's watching, like, they're pure in heart. They, they, they don't even tiptoe the line across purity. And now, those things may, in fact, be connected to or flow from purity, but that's not what this phrase is primarily speaking about. That purity in the scriptures is actually, it's, it's better thought of as, as corn or an army or wine. Let me explain. Corn, when it is sifted and the chaff is removed and all you have is the crop that you're looking for, that's purity. When there was an army that was a mixed multitude, some who were brave and courageous and ready for war, and some that were cowardice and shaking in their boots, it was when those two were separated and the army was prepared that that was purity, the scriptures would say. Or wine that has not been cut with water, but is full-bodied in its flavor and its, its, its strength, that that is pure in the scripture's eyes. And so the idea of purity is unalloyed, unmixed, in some ways, it's the, maybe the way to think of it is like a single eye. One of the, one of the alternative, alternate definitions or explanations of the word itself is, is to have a singleness of eye or a single mind. Like, I've got one eye on one thing. This is it. This is what I'm about. This, this picture actually is what reminds me of purity in the scriptures. Now, this is in the stage three of the Tour de France. Uh, this gentleman won that stage, and this was him pumping up one of the final hills 
Look at, look at that look on his face. This is purity in the scriptures. He has a single eye on a single goal. And I was actually, I, I was testing out my illustration at dinner last night at the men's retreat. I was sitting with Philip Mann, who, who many of you know and used to ride uh, professionally. He was a professional cyclist. I was like, help me, what was it like when you were riding professionally? And he looked down at his plate and he said, I'll tell you what it's like. I would sit here and while everyone's just talking and having a good time, I would be thinking about every bite. What am I going to select? And are these going to be calories that tomorrow when I'm training or I'm racing are going to be properly used for the strength of my body towards that goal? He said, the time I went to bed and the time I woke up and when I was on the bike, it was all of a single goal so that on the last push, he said, I was, I was the sprinter in the last push. It was my goal to make sure when we were coming to the finish line, we were going as fast as possible. That is purity. Now, the interesting thing is that the purity of a professional cyclist is the purity of will, strength. My body is engaged. I'm thinking about the ins and the outs and the sleep. But Jesus isn't just talking about that. He is talking about purity, but not just of the will and the strength. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Now this, this you, we can drop the photo. Thanks, guys. Um, purity of heart goes beyond just the Tour de France. Because what he's saying is, down at the center of who you are, when the scriptures speak of the heart, they're not just speaking of the will. They are speaking of that. How you eat and how you sleep and how you order your strength. But it's not just that. It's also your affections and your emotions. The center of all that you are as a person bundled up into a single word. That's how the scriptures speak of the heart. So when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, what he's talking about is a single eye. Like I have one aim and it's actually at the center of who I am. All that I am has come under the direction and the aim of this reality. God says in 1 Samuel 16 that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. That he's actually sifting through all the other, and he's looking at the core of who we are, and he's going, what is the aim really? Your emotions, your intellect, your will. Do you have a single aim? This is the invitation from Jesus. This is the good life in Jesus' economy, is that you have one aim, that it's clear it's not that I'm a scattershot, that I'm, I'm maybe in part, I want to please God, but you know what else I want? I also want to achieve. I want to amass this wealth. I want to be thought of well by these people. I don't want to be excluded from this group. I want these realities that all of a sudden a heart that is operating from a place of, yes, there's partially this, but I also have my eye on this, 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 and this. That is the opposite of purity of heart. And that leads to blurred vision, a lack of clarity, you being a, a bad looker, as it were. You see, the scriptures are calling us to a a singleness of vision at the center of who we are, all that we are bound and directed by God, going, I exist for a single purpose. I want to delight the heart of God. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's what purity of heart is. Now, I want to tell you about the problem with the purity of heart. Do you know what the problem with purity of heart is? The problem is that we don't have it. <laughs> right? 
Like when I explain that, I hope all of us have at least enough self-awareness and honesty to go, ooh, oh no. The blessings are for the pure in heart, but the wisdom of the Proverbs in chapter 20, verse 9 say this, this rhetorical question that is asked with the assumption being so clear that we all know the answer. It says, who can say, I have made my heart pure and I am clean from my sin? The wisdom literature is saying, who, who possibly could say I'm pure in heart? And the answer most obviously is, well, not me and no one else for that matter. I've had this very uncomfortable reality settle in that I, I consistently will have opportunities, moments where I get to step into a real, a real opportunity to show mercy, maybe to be the hands and the feet of God and, and someone's life that's really hurting. And I'll have this really pure and beautiful moment where I get to enter in Maybe I'm listening. Maybe I'm serving with my hands. Maybe I'm, I'm weeping with someone and we're praying and we're experiencing the presence of God together. But there have been these uncomfortable, consistent realities that often in moments like that, I will literally think in the back of my mind, I wonder if anybody's going to find out about, about how, how well I showed up here. I wonder if this story is going to get retold. I wonder if those people will hear what I did here today. And it's this reality that even in my best moments of displaying mercy and loving people, my grimy fingerprints are so quickly on the glory of God. Like so quickly, I just want to handle it and I want it to be mine. And the reality is that, that if we're honest in one way or another, at even our most pristine moments, those moments that we look back on and go, wow, God was really moving through me. Even in those moments, I am hopelessly mixed, alloyed, impure of heart. You see, we see clearly what the purity of heart is, but then we also see that there's a tremendous problem with purity of heart that we don't have it. In Habakkuk 1.13, God says his eyes are so pure that he can't look on impurity. And so the problem of the purity of heart is that God is going, that Jesus is saying there's tremendous blessing for the pure in heart, but I'm going, but that's not me. And in fact, Habakkuk 1.13 says, because I lack purity even down to my, my core, God's face cannot be on me truly, Habakkuk 1.13 says. This is the problem with the purity of heart. But there is a path, the path to the purity of heart. And we've been on it together. I hope by now you're feeling the flow of this. I've invited you to, to memorize the Beatitudes. I hope that you've spent some time meditating on them, experiencing the beauty, the progression, the brilliance of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We said that we're bankrupt at the outset. And then we say, blessed are the mourn, the mourning, for they shall be comforted. That once we are bankrupt of soul, we begin to mourn the realities of what's true of us internally. And God comes and comforts us in the midst of our grief. And then it says, blessed are the meek. 
for they shall inherit the earth. And we said that the meek are those that don't clench their fists and demand their own rights, that they've been so humble before God that they don't demand others to, to actually revolve around them, but they enter a space in a lowly place going, it's not about me. And then the meek that has been so emptied of self is able to say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And God gives us something from outside of ourselves. Listen, the journey to being able to show mercy and then to be pure in heart is the journey of being emptied and being touched by the grace of Jesus. That when we see Jesus, the one who's teaching us about the good life, who was single at his center, He had a single vision for the glory of God that was empowering him even to lay down his own life for your sin and your impurity and for mine. And then by taking up his life again in resurrection power, what he had able to give for us is the fullness of his righteousness, the perfection of his life. If you have trusted in Jesus, you have been filled with righteousness. And then for that reason, he says, blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. Because we're overflowing with his character, we now can extend mercy. And now, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There is a path to purity of heart. And it's through the grace and the completed work of Jesus that sets us on our feet and allows us to, in little moments, experience the seedlings of purity taking root in our heart and changing us. Friend, do not hear me saying there are blessings for being pure in heart and try to take a shortcut to that. A shortcut to going, you know what? I do need to be more pure. The first thing you and I need to be is emptied of ourselves before the foot of Jesus. But beautifully, when we start to receive it from grace, we understand that there is a path to experiencing the purity of heart, that it's through this journey we start to be filled with the presence of God, and then we start to experience this path to purity of heart taking shape for us. One other note about the shape of the Beatitudes that I think informs this path to the purity of heart. Follow this with me conceptually. There are three emptying Beatitudes at the front end, right? Poverty of spirit, mourning, meekness. And they lead to hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And then there are three filling beatitudes, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, and they lead to suffering for righteousness' sake. Do you feel the parallel? There are three steps. One leads to righteousness, excuse me, and then three steps that leads to us suffering for righteousness' sake. Jesus very clearly is operating in a parallel structure, and I believe what, what has become clear with the help of some other, some other folks' insights, what I've realized this week and that I've been rejoicing in is that each of those steps actually inform one another. That if you are truly poor in spirit, you will be able to show mercy because you will realize, I'm bankrupt, so, so I'm not going to hold your feet to the, to the fire in that sense. Like I'm going to pour out mercy because I know I needed it. But secondly, those who mourn or grieve their brokenness, that correlates to the pure in heart. So for wrestling with the purity of heart, once we experience Jesus, follow me, and you continue to do the work of exacting self-examination, of grieving what needs to be grieved, you know what you're cultivating? Purity of heart. I I have a friend that at the end of each day goes out to their front porch with a journal. They call it porch time. 
and they go out for porch time and just briefly work back through their day doing self-examination. What was in my heart in that moment, in that meeting, in that conversation? Why did I respond the way I did? In that moment, that was not my best self that showed up. I was operating out of stress or anxiety. I was responding and reacting out of anger. What was going on there? And they just jot down some notes and they invite God to help them actually see what's happening inside of them. And then to properly grieve what needs to be grieved so that it can be laid down. You see, blessed are those who mourn, God will comfort them. This correlates once filled by the presence of Jesus to blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you make it your aim to regularly take inventory and not just shrug it off and go, well, you know, it was a tough day or I've got a lot going on. That's the way I reacted in that moment. That's why that happened. And you actually sit with God. And maybe you even pray Psalm 139, like search me. Show me what's grievous about me. If you continue to do that, you're cultivating a purity of heart. You see, the path to purity of heart is through the grace of Jesus. And then continuing to engage in self-examination. And one last note, note before we move on on the path to purity of heart. I think Romans 8.13 would speak to us about this. Romans 8.13 says this. It says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, what the author is saying here, what Paul is saying here, that once we have accepted the grace of Jesus and we've been delivered from our emptiness into his fullness, then it doesn't mean we just remain passive. You follow me? That you actually have an invitation to partner with God in the cultivation of your purity of heart. That you are called to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of Jesus. This isn't anti-grace. This is falling out of grace. What God has accomplished in you, He has blood-bought you, not so that you can stay seated right where you've always been in that same old stuff, but that you can develop a singleness of heart that causes you to start to go, oh God, I still feel this in me, and so I'm, I'm naming it before you. I'm laying it down, and then I'm going to put it to death. I was talking to a friend recently who is cultivating a very beautiful purity of heart. And this friend is in a dating relationship and they made the comment to me, you know, sexual purity has been a challenge. And so we've talked about it and and the decision that we've made is we're limiting the amount of time we're hanging out together and we're we're only hanging out in this season in community. Even to the point where not driving together in, in a car because we found that that was leading to places we didn't want to go. And he said, it feels almost silly trying to explain it to friends and as people are watching. He said, but it's just not worth it to me to have these multiple aims. You, do you hear it? The path to the purity of heart comes by naming, oh God, would you cleanse me? and filling up with Jesus, and laying things aside, and then putting to death Jesus, and and inviting us into the goodness of his grace, also will say things like, cut off your hand, or gouge out your eye, that there are blessings for cultivating a singleness of vision. Don't just continue to settle back down into that old way of living. I've bought you for something better 
than that. And the thing that is better is the promise. You see, we see what purity of heart is. We recognize the problem of the purity of heart. We experience the path of the purity of heart. And what we realize is that that path leads to the promise of the purity of heart. Did you hear it in the second half of the verse? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Ah. I'll just say this. I've got a few things to say about that, but just before I before I say it, if that doesn't stir something in you, um, like if, if, if seeing God doesn't matter to you right now, I'm so glad you're here and you're welcomed and invited and we want to walk with you and love you. But that might be a, a revelation as to whether or not you're actually a Christian. Maybe. It's at least a checkpoint on our soul. Because when we begin to truly taste the grace of Jesus and come alive to who God is, the thought that we're going to get to see Him, that's a good promise. Let's explore it just a little bit, that promise. Two ways to think about it. You'll see God now. You'll see Him now. You'll see Him now the way my, my friend Shannon Stam sees His coins. Shannon, Shannon Stam has done a lot of work on the physical uh, facility at Joplin. He's one of the guys that's been doing the work. Many of you know him. Shannon, in this recent season of life, has become passionate about coins, about, about paying attention to the coins that are passing through his hands. And, and he's been going particularly to this one spot where uh, he's, he's been doing his laundry at this laundromat. And the owner of the laundromat has that, like, huge tubs of coins that he's had plugged up from since the 1970s that he's starting to give change to his customers and he's putting them in the machines and and Shannon feels like he's hit this treasure trove because he goes and every coin that comes across his hand he's examining and wondering oh is this that coin where that the the hair is a little bit off and so it's worth more this thing and this last week he found a, a Sacagawea coin that had been stamped on a Susan B. Anthony planchet Exciting, right? So he came into my office, very excited. Look at this! Sacagawea Susan B. Planchet. I was like, I don't know what a Planchet is. I'm not sure what we're talking about. But show me, you know? I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. And in that moment, what I thought is that if I had been given this coin in change, it would have gone in a jar or I would have bought Tic Tacs with it. That coin... Shannon stole 48 hours later for $5,000. <laughs> right? I'm like, that was pretty cool. <laughs> the point is this. He sees things that are passing through his hands very differently than I do. The reason is because he's been paying attention. He's studied about it. He's prepared. And all of a sudden he goes, do you, do you see this? He's become a good looker. You see, when you have a singleness of vision, you don't keep missing what's right in front of you. Some of you know Robert and Yvette Schutte. Uh, th their house has been infested with fleas recently. They haven't been able to live at home. And so they've been bumping around between family. And Robert was at our prayer meeting last week. 
And his prayer request was this. He said, Yvette and the kids, he's got a five-year-old and twin one-year-old, twin one-year-olds. It's hard when you're displaced and everything's covered in fleas. That's, that's not ideal. And Robert stood up and he said, you know, Yvette had to go home to the valley to be with her family. And the truth is that we actually think, like, we can already see God's hand in this. Because it's this moment where she's going to get to go love on family in a tough moment that we wouldn't have made time for. And we just wouldn't have done if it hadn't been for the fleas. So he didn't ask that the fleas would go away, that everything would be fixed his house. He said, would you just pray that God would bless Yvette and her family and that we would continue to bear fruit. And I was thinking, ah, you see God. Do you feel what has happened? That when, when you start to live in this way of I'm bankrupt and I'm mourning my bankruptcy and I'm growing in this meekness of it's not all about me and I'm being filled with God's character and I extend mercy and all of a sudden I have this singleness of vision that even when it feels like life is really coming undone, like it's the sort of thing that would cause most people to just grumble and complain and go, why does this keep happening to me? But the interesting thing about the good life in Jesus' economy is it's good even when there's fleas. Do you follow it? The power and the beauty of what he is delivering to us is it's not dependent on your bank account and your circumstances and everything having gone perfectly. What he's delivering to us is actually a good life, a good life that can't be touched by any of those things. It's unshakably good. This is what he's calling us into. Kingdom living where we see God. Like we see him when we're tempted to just see the circumstances. We finally have eyes for God. And the beauty is that, is that we see him and we start to experience the good life. There's this growing anticipation and joy for the fact that Yes, we see him, but we're going to see him. Like you see his glory dripping through in moments of the fleas, in moments of loss, in the moments of sadness, and you go, God is glorious and good even in these moments. It's like I'm hearing a distant echo, like I'm just seeing the shadows, but one day I'm going to see him. And oh, what a sight that's going to be. You know, in, in John 1.18, it says this, No one has ever, has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. What he's talking about in introducing Jesus to the world is saying no one has ever, ever been able to see God, but Jesus has come into the world to make him known. So we live in this place where if we've seen Jesus, we've seen God truly, but we, we, we haven't seen him fully. But in Revelation 20, 22, what you see behind me in Revelation 22 and verse 4 is this, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Now the God in Habakkuk 1 verse 13 who says, I cannot look on your impurity. My face looks away because I can't. Because of the coming of Jesus and because of his singleness of heart, he has purchased and won us in such a way that we can begin to cultivate a true purity of heart now and one day what has never been possible for humanity will finally be possible. We will see him. And for those who are covered by the grace of Jesus, that sight will produce perfect, beautiful, unending joy. 
And for those that are not covered by the grace of Jesus, strike fear, terror to look into the eyes of the pure one that cannot look on impurity. You see, the blessing for the pure in heart is for those who have tasted the purity of Jesus and have welcomed it in. Brothers and sisters, truly, blessed to the pure in heart, they will see God. Let me pray for us. So gracious God and Father, uh, first, I just want to say, like God, right now, if I have friends in this room, maybe friends whose names I don't know yet, but if we have really honored guests in this room that the sight of God doesn't stir their soul, Um, that maybe they've never tasted and known your love and the person and the work of Jesus, I pray that right now you would create holy curiosity in their souls. And that they would think, maybe, just maybe, I I haven't yet found what life is really about. And if that's you, would you not deny it, but would you lean into it and receive the the invitation to set your gaze on Jesus and experience His invitation to life and fullness. And God, I ask that for all of us, that we with humility and brokenness would be emptied before You so that we might be able to experience the blessings of the good life You've secured for us, that we would live fully alive as people that understand what it is to mourn, what it is to grow in meekness, what it is to hunger for Your righteousness, to spill out mercy on those around, and in so doing to cultivate a singleness at the center of who we are, a purity of heart. Oh, God, by your grace, through the power of your Spirit, make it true that all across the body of Seven Mile Road, you'd raise up men and women and children that are cultivating a purity of heart and who see you. Amen.